I want to go ahead and read a, a thank you card from Kay Williams that she sent to the church. I'll go ahead and read that tonight. Who knows if I'll do it next Sunday morning or not, so better go ahead and read this for everyone. Um, it says, when God opened the door to receive and provide for the children a home, I couldn't foresee how he was going to bring about this opportunity, but he knew and had already provided He knew your hearts and how much you loved him. I thank you for your faithful service and love for Christ that you have exemplified to these children and to us. Thank you for opening your hearts. Um, For as this card aptly states, God is near in every moment and um, and for every need. He sees and cares. And not a single cry escapes his notice. Thank you for being the hands and feet of Christ. I love you all, Kay. And the uh, front of the card says, God is near in every moment of every need. God is near. He sees and he cares. Not a single heartbeat or heart cry escapes his notice. So, uh, Kay, thank you for that card. And um, do commend the church for your uh, caring for that, the Williams family and helping them during this time. That card reminded me of this morning's passage, how uh, the Lord is, um, gives his peace always and in every way and how the Lord is with us. So um, as we come to our time together of study tonight from the Bible, we're actually going to finish up our study of the covenants, and we've gone through all of the Old Testament covenants that are to, well, pretty much all of them that are to be found. There might be another one or two hidden in there that kind of fall in with the rest of them, but uh, we've, we've looked at the major ones for sure. you got the Abrahamic covenant, one of the big three. got the uh, Mosaic covenant, one of the big three, and then the Davidic covenant. Those, those three I call the the big three covenants of the uh, Old Testament, and continue to have an impact throughout the Old Testament and even going into the New Testament. The one that we're going to look at tonight is the, the New Covenant, and I just have about six points that I'd like to go uh, through uh, concerning the New Covenant. We're not going to exhaust this study tonight by any means, but hopefully this will give you an idea about this, the, the reality of it. And maybe, you know, you, you may be sitting there tonight and you, you, you may say, I, I didn't even really know the Bible talked about the new covenant in the Old Testament. And how did all of that come to be? What is the significance of it? It's really actually pretty easy to grow up into church and not know any of that. I, I don't remember being taught anything about it. That's right, Sutton. I understand what you're saying. Uh, <clears throat> I remember growing up, and I don't remember hearing a whole lot about that. So we're going to spend a little bit of time on it tonight, the New Covenant. And the first thing I want to point out to you uh, here is the, the Scriptures under the new, concerning the New Covenant. And I have those uh, ri- uh, listed there for you. There are handouts in the back if anybody needs one. Now, y'all go ahead and make a correction on that first. Well, it's right on your handout. I, I made it, I did it wrong on the PowerPoint. It's chapter 31, 31 through 37 is correct what you have there. All right, so the scriptures. This is just 
where you find this mentioned. These are the primary texts where you find this mentioned in the Old Testament. We're not going to read them right now. We're going to go to the next one. <clears throat> All right, the situation. So you see the scriptures. I've given you the scriptures. Now we're going to look at the situation. If you think about when uh, Jeremiah, and then you, other, you see the other one there listed is Ezekiel chapter 36. When you think about these and the time in which they were written, we know the situation that's going on in Israel. All right? Now, let's, let's make sure we understand this. Jeremiah and Ezekiel were contemporaries. They were prophets at the same time. Now, they were in two different locations. Jeremiah was located in Jerusalem, Judah and Jerusalem. Where was Ezekiel? Does anybody remember? Where was he when he prophesied? Babylon. All right. He had been carried off to Babylon from Judah. All right. He was taken there and he was probably taken there in the year 597 B.C. Daniel had already been taken there in 605. Ezekiel followed in 597 when Babylon had come again and there was the second deportation. Took the people to Babylon. And that's where Ezekiel finds himself when the word of the Lord comes to him and he begins to prophesy. While he's doing that in Babylon, Jeremiah, who had a 50-year ministry, is prophesying in Judah or Jerusalem. All right, So these two are, they are prophesying at the same time. So I find that to be significant because that, that lays out for us the situation. The situation is that the old covenant has failed. It, well, it's failed um, in a sense. It's actually succeeded because God did exactly what he was going to do under the old covenant because the people were disobedient. In their disobedience, God brought curse upon, a curse upon them or the promise of the curse, which y'all remember is found in Deuteronomy, what chapter? I expected everybody to say 28. All right, but it's chapter 28. So that curse, the curse, the list, the uh, detailed list of curses that are going to come upon them is listed there in chapter 28. So God did exactly what he said he was going to do. The people were sent off into captivity. So that's the situation. It's the situation of a covenant where the people had said, we will do this. But they failed to do it, which brought God's judgment upon them. And it's in that situation that the new covenant promise comes. All right, so let's, let's read here. And uh, let's look at Jeremiah 31 to begin with. All right, so if you'd find in your Bibles, Jeremiah 31 Hopefully we see the scriptures, we, we see the situation, and well, I'll stop there. So chapter 31, here's what is said in this situation that the people find themselves in. Being under uh, judgment by God using the nation of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon to bring destruction upon them. Uh, Jeremiah prophesies while still in Jerusalem before the final destruction of Jerusalem in uh, 586 B.C. All right, verse 31. If y'all got it, would you say amen? 
Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay, so you see it pretty clearly there, promise of a new covenant. And then he goes on, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. All right, so that what we saw there in verse 33 is quite important because in this situation of, if you call it, O covenant fail as far as uh, salvation and the people being right with God, uh, God here is saying that he's going to put a law in their minds or put his law in their minds and write it on their hearts. There's going to be a transformation that takes place within them. He says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. It's a guaranteed. Verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So we not only see a transformation here, but in verse 34, we see a salvation here because uh, he's going to forgive their iniquity and their sin. He will remember no more. Now, let's look at verse 35. Verse 35, it says, thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night. Who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Verse 37, thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. All right, so just ending there, you see here God making this promise and comparing it to the the sun, comparing it to the moon, the stars, the seas, and how if, if his promises to Israel fail, then all of those things are going to fail. Or just like those things are sure and continue, It's the same with God's promises to Israel. Now, the promise that he makes to Israel here is the promise of a new covenant. All right? Promise of a new covenant where there will be a transformation and where there will be salvation. All right, now, let's move further and see the solution. We see the scriptures, we see the situation, and now let's see the solution. Now, to see the solution, we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 36, which is the uh, other place uh, in the Old Old Testament, which is really a major passage that talks about this new covenant. 
you're not going to find, I don't think, the words new covenant here. But we see the promise being the same. And we see him really elaborating on it more thoroughly than occurs in Jeremiah 31. Uh, So let's pick up in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 23. So notice all the I will statements in here. Notice how sure this is. This is a big deal. Because God's saying that he's going to do this. I will, I will. Let's see how many times we see that. All right, picking up at verse 23. It says, I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations. The indication there is that they've been scattered. Gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Then in verse 28. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. Similar in a lot of ways to what we saw in Jeremiah. But you see him really being more thorough here in Ezekiel, who's prophesying in Babylon. All right, There's this promise in verse 26, and you might want to write this down. The solution is a new heart and a new spirit. He's going to give them a heart that isn't a heart of stone, but it's a heart of flesh. It is a heart that can know God, that can commune with God, that can have a relationship with God. It is a heart that has been changed. And he's going to give them a new spirit. As a matter of fact, we're going to see how that new spirit is the spirit of Christ indwelling them. The spirit of God actually indwelling them and abiding in them. So he's going to do again this transformation in them that's going to make an incredible difference. Now take your Bibles if you would and uh, turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 9. Also, these are some pretty significant promises. This is something that um, has not been done uh, nationally. If you think about the Spirit of God indwelling people in the Old Testament, we do certainly see the Spirit of God coming and abiding upon people. We see on the day that David was anointed that the Spirit of God came and um, was with him from that day forward. I think is what the Bible says. So the Spirit of God did come and was with people and empowered people. Here he's talking about not just one or two or a few individuals, but the community, that all the people of God would have the Spirit of God actually abiding in them. All right, so in Deuteronomy 30, for the sake of time, I don't need to read all the way down to verse 6, but in verses 1 through 5, he's really laying out here, you know, after the curses, uh, he's actually telling them that they're going to be um, scattered among the nations and they will call to mind the things that God has said and they'll call out to him. 
Jumping down to verse 6, it says there, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So even there in Deuteronomy, in the law, there's this prediction, this prophecy that God is going to do something within them. When we go to Jeremiah and Ezekiel, we see them elaborating on that much more so that they understand, perhaps, or at least instructed, told more about what that is going to look like. So we see it appear in the, in the law. All right, now, I have another scripture on that. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. And we might be saying, praise the Lord, we're getting in the New Testament to talk about some of this. Under the solution, let's see how this shakes out, all right? In Romans chapter 8, um, we, we really see how this ends up working. Uh, starting at verse 1, Romans 8. You know, Paul ends chapter 7 saying, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Serves the law of uh, flesh, a law of sin with the flesh because that law ultimately results in death, which Paul knew death awaited him. Um. We learn about a new law in chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. You see, that's a key verse right there. That's a key phrase. The law was weak through the flesh. It could not save us because it was dependent upon obedience. It was a works were required. Uh, It was conditional. It could not save because the weakness of the flesh. If you and I were left to obey a certain amount of rules, in order to save ourselves, we would all be lost because we would fail to obey the law. We would fail to obey the rules as we should because of our sinful nature. So he says, For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. Now, if you'll pay attention here in verse 3, this is where Christ comes into the picture. We couldn't do it, so God sent His Son who did it. For what the, flesh, what the law could not do, being weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son. And that's why the obedience of Christ is so very important. He not only died for us, but He also lived for us. He lived a perfectly obedient life accomplishing or fulfilling the law and the prophets. Continuing with verse 3. In the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us 
who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here's what happens. In this new covenant, uh, where the new heart is given and the new spirit is given, there has been a transformation. There has been a salvation because of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit then indwells us. With the Spirit of God indwelling us, we are then able to um, fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. And what is that ultimately? That we love God. That we love one another. If we were to boil it down to two commandments, just like Jesus does, the two greatest. We now, because of God's work and salvation in our lives, we now, having the Spirit in us, love God and we are able to love one another. Therefore, that which God requires, God does in us by His Spirit who who lives in us. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, so uh, that's the solution. Let's jump to the sacrifice. For all of this to take place, for this new covenant to be real, it had to be ratified. There had to be a sacrifice for it. And that takes us to Matthew chapter 26. Let's go to Matthew 26. Passage that we're not unfamiliar with. Are y'all awake this evening? Everybody okay? Hang in there. Matthew 26. This is the institution of the Lord's Supper. Um, Verse 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the what? The new covenant. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You see, he's saying in that this is the sacrifice. This is the blood that is necessary for this covenant to be ratified. This is the blood that's necessary for their salvation, for the forgiveness of their sins for their transformation. All right, so that's the sacrifice. I want to ask you now to turn to Hebrews chapter 9, where uh, we'll see the writer elaborating. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16 through 28. I'm, I'm pretty much going to just be reading a good bit of this. Um, I'm going to read 16 through 28 and try to let it speak for itself. Okay? Hebrews 9. Here in this, we're going to see the importance of the death of Jesus, what He accomplishes through that in its relation to the covenant. All right, verse 16. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. 
Verse 19. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then, likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. There's blood everywhere. Verse 22. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. So in God's order of things in the Old Testament, He has has made it so that blood is necessary for forgiveness, for the remission of sins. Verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place year after year with blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after that, this judgment, this, after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Okay, so in, in that there's a lot there. You notice that the things in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, the temple, and the way it was all set up, it was a copy of what's in heaven. The human priest in the Old Testament uh, sanctified those things with blood. Christ did not come to the temple and try to sanctify those things with his blood on earth, but he entered the heavenly places, the true copy of those things, where that relationship with God is made right, and we become sons and daughters of God, have access to God. Christ has gone there and sanctified that place. He is a sacrifice for us. So all those things in the Old Testament were pointing to what Christ would do. It was a shadow of it. It was not the reality. Now, just as a a side note, you'll notice uh, in verse 26 and then 28 that this speaks of two comings of Christ, or two appearings of Christ. The first appearance was to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The second appearance in verse 28 
is apart from sin for salvation. That's what this passage lays out. Not two, three, four appearances of Christ, but it gives two appearances of Jesus Christ. One in verse 26, to die, to be a sacrifice. The second, he's coming back for salvation for those who eagerly wait for him. All right, now, let's see the surety. The surety. Here we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 7. And again, I want to read and let the Bible just lay there and speak for itself. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, starting at verse 20. It says, And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without the, an oath, but he, Jesus, with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, which is mentioned about five times in the book of Hebrews, or in this section. Verse 22. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety. That means a guarantee. Jesus has become a guarantee of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. Another way of saying to the uttermost there is completely and forever. He is able to save to the uttermost completely and forever those who come to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as those high priests to offer sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. The surety of this covenant, the truth, the guarantee of it, of salvation of it, is found in the person of Jesus Christ, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Now lastly, let's see the significance. The significance, I'd point you to this passage here in uh, in Hebrews chapter 8 and then part of chapter 10. Again, we're going to read through this and let it speak for itself. We'll pick up at verse 6. Let's see here. Yeah, we'll pick up at verse 6. You'll notice in verse 5 it talks about a cop, the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses divinely instructed. It wasn't, he was instructed by that. In verse 6 it says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant. 
What's the better covenant? It's the new covenant, which was also established on better promises. Now, verse 7 of chapter 8. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with him, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. Now, does anybody see where this is being quoted from? Anybody? Yeah, that's right. One of the passages we looked at earlier. One of the, the, the new covenant passage in Jeremiah, that's what he's quoting from right now. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, says, after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins, and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So we see the significance of this covenant. And then we go over to chapter 10. And we'll read 10 through 18. According to the noise in the cry room, it's about time to wrap things up. Verse 10. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's significant, folks. Through his one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. Then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now, where there is remission of these. There is no longer an offering for sin. The significance of it. What Jesus Christ has done to ratify the new covenant, to make it real, to accomplish it for our salvation. To fulfill 
the promises of God. Now, you might ask, why is it that these promises were made to Israel, yet we now claim them as Gentiles? Good question. And do you remember, when it comes to Israel and the gospel going to them, did they receive it? Are they receiving it today? No. And the Bible even tells us that God has blinded them for a time. That Gentiles might be grafted in. That Gentiles might be saved. This is, we are currently living in the time of the Gentiles. To where Israel has rejected the gospel, therefore the promises that God gives us through Christ are now able to come to us. Gentiles, all the nations of the earth. So God in His promise of the new covenant that went to them has extended it to the nations for a time. But as we see in the book of Romans, chapter 11, there is going to come a time in verses 25 and 26 where the time of the Gentiles will end. And all Israel will be saved. So if you were wondering how is it that we can claim these promises that were specifically given to Israel. The reason we can do that is because God has blinded them that the message of the gospel and the promises through Christ can be given to the Gentiles, to the nations. Now, the question that I have for all of us tonight as I conclude is. Are your sins remembered by God now? Or are they no longer remembered by Him? Because Jesus is your Savior. You see, if, if you are in your sin, if you reject the gospel of Christ, salvation through Jesus, the Bible says that the wrath of God is upon you. And I remind you tonight that the only way to escape the wrath of God, the condemnation that is due us because of our unbelief, because of our sin, is through the person of Jesus Christ, who saves to the uttermost, completely and forever, those who come to God through Him. So my question, have you come to God through Christ? He is the only one who can satisfy the wrath of God in your place. So the invitation is to believe the testimony of God. That He has given us eternal life. And that life is in His Son. You might ask the question, I kind of ask it to myself, I I don't know the answer. What is the sign of the new covenant? I'm kind of dumb on that. I, I don't know what it is exactly. Some of you might know. What is the sign of the new covenant? David, do you know? I mean, I'm really asking that seriously. Okay, baptism. Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out. Okay, so let's go with Spirit on that maybe. Indwelling Spirit. Anybody think of anything else that might be a sign of the new covenant? 
the cross, okay? I thought of that as well. What else? Anything else? What do we do to remember what Jesus did? Resurrection. Okay. Resurrection. I mean, that's a significant part of, of, of salvation. Without it, we would have no salvation. That's good. Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper. I don't know that the Bible gives us a New Test in the New Testament saying this is the sign of it, but we see these three things for sure. The indwelling spirit of God. We, 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 I say we see that. In a sense, you do see that in a person's life. So all of God's people have the indwelling spirit. But how do you know you're a part of that community of people who have the indwelling spirit? How do you know you're a part of that community who are Christ's followers? In the waters of baptism. Where we are marked as believers as followers of Jesus, as we are united with Him in His death and resurrection. But what do we do to remind ourselves constantly of what Jesus Christ has done to save us? The Lord's Supper. We here take it on a monthly basis, once every month at the beginning of the month. But the church has been given that ordinance to remind us that the blood of Christ is the blood of the new covenant. And through that we have remission of sins. So, um, probably should have made that a point on the handout. But uh, something to think about. And those three things certainly make a lot of sense. If you think of a particular passage of Scripture that points that out, I would like for you to tell me about it. Because I, I'm not able to think of one specifically. Well, Lord bless you. Thank you for your attention. I do pray that you'll trust in Christ. And as we depart, say a good word about Him this week. Let's pray together. Lord, it's such a privilege to open your word and to study it. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity you've given us to do that tonight. And thank you for the opportunity you've given us to study the the covenants. Um, Lord, I I pray that we'll all examine ourselves, take some time to see if if we've believed in the message of the gospel, if we're members of this new covenant community. And Father, if I pray for anyone who isn't, who has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I ask you, God, by your grace, save them through faith in Jesus. And I pray we will all who are in Christ live for him, live as though we are members of this new community. Please bless and keep us as we go. I pray, Lord, you'll bless and keep those who are watching online, those who could not be with us. And may we live this week as though Jesus is Lord of our lives, for we know that He is Lord. And that He lived, that He died, and that He was raised again, that He might be Lord of both the living and the dead. In His name I pray, amen.